What does it mean to be a leader in a learning ecosystem? And how can we lead powerful transformations of learning for the future? As the concept of learning ecosystems gains momentum, the impact of COVID on global education efforts has shown that the schools which have coped best in this crisis are those which are better networked and which understand and leverage the connections in their ecosystems. In this series of podcasts, Wise All In speaks with leaders of such learning networks to gain insight and understanding, as well as practical advice on the how of leading learning networks. Hello, and welcome to this special series, which is a collaboration between the World Innovation Summit for Education, the Agile Leaders of Learning Innovation Network, and the learning future. We hope you enjoy these conversations where we speak with different leaders from different networks about how do we become a networked leader, one of the key ways that leadership is evolving in terms of what's required for us to lead learning ecosystems. We hope you enjoy. Hello, my name's Susan Douglas um, and I am one of the senior schools advisors uh, at the British Council, the UK's cultural relations organisation, as well as the chief executive officer of the Eden Academy Trust, which is a network of seven schools that cater uh, for children with complex learning difficulties. I'm also lucky enough to be part of the Wise All In network, and we're spending some time this year thinking about the power of networks, and in particular, the role of the school leader in leading outside of their organisation. I'm really pleased, therefore, today to be joined by Ed Vanker, who has not only uh, established and run his own school, but also established a very different type of network. So welcome, Ed. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Um, I'm going to start just by asking you to say a little bit more about the particular organisation that you run and, you know, the networks that it's part of. Yeah, so so thank you. And and so I think to, the best way to do that is probably tell you a little bit of the story and the kind of progression that we've had um, over the years. So we set up Reach Academy in 2012. It was a new school, fully state funded, um, but kind of independent of kind of government. And it, it was, un, it was, it's unusual because it's an all through school. So it has children from two all the way to 18. And over kind of seven years, we built up the numbers in that school. So there are now 900 children um, from two to nine, from two to 18 at reach. And from right from the start, we wanted to make sure that the school was really deeply embedded in the community. And we believe that a huge range of factors affect children's ability to learn and flourish at school. And that, and that as a school, there was a role that we could play in that. And so right from the start, we had this kind of focus. And over time, we um, set up a separate organization in 2017 called the Reach Children's Hub, which sought to have a kind of deeper impact across the cradle to career kind of span of a child. So we started to do more work with new mums, um, to work in partnership with different organizations, to work with Citizens UK, um, and to kind of build parental capacity and power, reduce stress for parents, but also offer particular services to young people. And that started us building a wider network in Feltham. Um, but then in 2020, uh, or 2019, we came to the conclusion that we were doing a lot of stuff. And I am guilty sometimes of doing too much stuff or too quickly. 
Um, and the things that we were doing weren't necessarily addressing the kind of systemic barriers that young people in our community face. And so inspired by uh, an organization called Strive in the States, um, we set up a collective impact project called the Felton Convening Partnership, which builds a network of organizations involved with young people in Felton and has them work together to try and solve some of the complex problems and address some of the barriers that young people face. And that's the network that I'm excited to talk about this morning. And you, and you said something about cradle to, to cradle to career. I nearly said cradle to grave, but I don't think you yeah, mean that. Cradle to, cradle to career. Can you just say a little bit more about, about that and the, you know, the aspirations that you have around that? Uh, because that's an interesting take on the role of a school, I think. Yeah, and, and I think um, I think the reason that we want... So I started life as a secondary school teacher. And I definitely felt a real rupture when our pupils joined us at, at secondary, having been at lots of different primaries when I was teaching in Peckham or in White City. Um, and there wasn't that continuity of experience, both educationally but also pastorally and in terms of the relationship with the child and with the families. And so when we had the opportunity to start a school from scratch, the first thing that kind of went on the page was that we wanted to have an all through school. And we wanted to be able to create a kind of seamlessness in the journey, both educationally in terms of curriculum, but also more importantly, I think, in terms of the relationship. Because what tends to happen in schools in the UK is that parents and families have a very close relationship with um, a ch uh, their child's maybe reception teacher in the early years and over time quite a good relationship through primary and then an increasingly distant relationship as children go to secondary they walk to school themselves their children have lots of different teachers and so we wanted to try and find a way to retain that and then I think we 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 started to learn more about the importance of the earliest years and I think that public policy is quite far behind what we now know about how important that period from conception to age three matters. And so we started to think about playing a role right from the start. Um, and so being able to offer that continuity from cradle right the way to young people going out on to flourish and going out to flourish in the world, but also to have a broader conception of the role of the school in terms of helping families and helping the community solve the problems and the barriers that young people experience to learning. So people will be listening to this from all sorts of countries around the world. So one of, I suppose, one of the, what, what it would be helpful to, to understand more about is the types of organisations that, that belong in, in your network then, because you talked about reducing stress from parents and, you know, and that sort of thing. So in addition to the school, which other organisations are involved uh, in the hub? Yeah, so, 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 so in the kind of, in, in the convening partnership, we tried to, we started with a steering group. And in that steering group, we tried to have representation from across the age range. And um, so we have nursery uh, leaders, someone who, who runs three nurseries. We've got primary. Well, outside of your school, just to be clear. All so outside of our schools. These are other institutions in our local area. And we, and we said, look, we want to come together. I think Feltham is a smaller unit than the administrative unit that we are in. So we're in a borough called Hounslow. It's got about 250,000 um, people. Um, Feltham has about 70,000 of those people, but it has quite a, a clear geographical identity um, and, and a kind of cultural identity as well. 
And so we, we brought people together who worked and were involved in improving the lives of children in Feltham. So we had nursery, primary, secondary school leaders, and we invited the two local universities to join that steering group. They're not in Feltham, but they are our two local universities, Royal Holloway and Kingston University. We invited some, commu uh, some community leaders, so uh, some faith leaders, someone who runs a local arts charity. And um, we also invited um, some people from the local council, including the, the, the commissioner for public health. So some public health officials, um, someone who is involved in the early, in kind of social care. And then we made sure that half of the people in that steering group were members of the community. So young people, parents, um, other community kind of leaders, um, someone who uh, ran a children's center for a long time who's now retired. And so we had this steering group, which when we met for the first time, was a group of people who'd never come together. Even though they all had this shared interest in our community, they'd never met. Um, and, and then, and then what we did over kind of nine months was to was to analyze data, do a big listening campaign, speak to all of those people we were meeting monthly. One thing that I think is very important, Susan, is that we have we have this kind of um, what we call a backbone team, who are a team that are administering and kind of delivering this, this network and this partnership. Um, and they are able to move work forward kind of between meetings. Yeah. So that steering group is, is deciding. That steering group is deciding what the focus is, what we're going to work on. But you've got this team who are the engine room. Making it happen kind of thing. Right. Because, yeah. because the, the thing with networks, I think, is, and, I, and I'm, I'm involved in quite a few different ones, it's, it's very you're relying a lot on kind of discretionary effort and people are busy and have their own roles. And that's particularly true in schools. And, and I think what, what makes a network kind of flourish is a sense that between, between meetings, there's momentum and there's progress. And so having this, this backbone team able to move things forward. So we would, we would do a big, we would do a piece of data analysis. We do a piece of listening. We'd come and share and make some recommendations. The steering group would tweak those and then, and then, and then progress would be made before the next meeting. And there was a sense of, of progress and so what we did was to identify some some complex problems that we wanted to work on and so the first two that we chose were the mental health of our of our young people um, and how we could improve that and then the what happened to our young people after 16 so that period from 16 to 18 and what what we saw from the data was that young people did reasonably well up to 16 in school and that transition and then the courses that they did yielded worse outcomes at 18. And so we, we decided that we were going to focus on those two things. And what we did was, and then the steering group kind of set the parameters for that. And then we set up two working groups. And because we had the most senior people in the steering groups, they were able to direct colleagues in their institutions to join those steering groups. But we also got other people from outside. So the mental health group, we've got and um, some people from some local counseling services, CAMS, our kind of mental health, statutory mental health service, they've got involved in that. And um, we've got the local GP responsible for adolescent mental health. Um, and they have come together and they've created an action plan. Um, and they are now responsible for delivering work against that kind of mental health priority. And so the steering group is now much more in a kind of governance role. And the working groups now are like involved in really doing the work again, with the support of that backbone team. And the idea of, 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 of this kind of approach to collective impact is that 
you're not doing new things. You're doing your work. Each institution is doing its work better because we're working together and because it's collaborative. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds amazing. Um, I'd be interested to know, um, you know, what the greatest challenges were in kind of lead, leading that, because, um, you know, it sounds to me like the school, you've created a school um, which has established itself as the kind of, well, the hub, you, I mean, you called yourself a hub, but the hub of the community. So as the leader of that hub. So what were the challenges in leading that, um, Ed, and yeah. that the vision was, you know, was, was, was achieved? I think I think it I think the two things I think this is a different way of working mm. and um, and I think it has the potential to be more systemic and and have a greater impact but it's slower and so I think the biggest challenge is trying to get clear on what is kind of ambitious and what's kind of the right aspiration to have in terms of the progress that's being made the progress that's being made while acknowledging that actually the process and the ownership and the governance and the role of all these different institutions and the role of these community members is really important in its own right mm. and so like going back I kind of said you know my my problem is that I kind of want to do things too too quickly sometimes and I think you know one of the conversations we had uh, that was really transformative for us was with a, commu- a community organizer with Citizens UK. And he said, you know, I worry sometimes, I, I worry listening to you whether you're, whether you're putting programs before people. And I think we were guilty of doing that. You know, we saw a problem and we would do something, we would start something. Um, and I think this is a, this is a better way to go, but you, you have to then be thoughtful about the pace because you don't want to lose momentum and actually, it's the momentum that keeps people involved and keeps people participating. But equally, you can't just railroad and say, you know, this is what we're going to do. You've got to bring, you've, you've, you've got, you, you want to go through that process. So I think that's the biggest challenge is just getting the, the pitch right in terms of the pace of change and the pace of progress. It's interesting because the group has been thinking about um, Daniel Pink's work around motivation. Um, and I'm just thinking about that in relation to the, you know, the, you've got a very gr- wide group of people there, haven't you? All of whom need to be motivated uh, to want to do something and to and to maintain that motivation. That's the thing, you know, across challenges, across, you know, working, collab- working collaboratively, as you say, it can not just be slower sometimes, but also it could be quite frustrating, can't it? Working, you know, because everybody's got different ways of doing things, etc. So, um, in thinking about Daniel Pink's work, we're thinking about um, uh, the triangle that he identified about intrinsic motivation, and in particular, the three areas of autonomy, the role autonomy plays, um, uh, the role of purpose. Um, and, and I think we've heard a little bit about shared purpose already, actually. Um, and then about mastery as well um, uh, and the need to develop skills and how those three things together, working together, um, you know, may, may well create greater impact. So I just I wonder about your reflections on those three aspects of, of motivation in, in relation not only to your work, but to the work of, of the network. Yeah, I think I think I think they are really helpful lenses and kind of reflecting on 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 on, the, on this conversation. I think I think one of the one of the key things is we're, we're at a point um, in our in 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 our in our wider system where things have become quite fragmented, 
um, within the kind of education system, I think, in the UK. And the, the traditional conveners, the, 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 the people who brought everyone, the institutions that brought everyone together in the past, don't necessarily have that role or mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the capacity that they might have had. And so I think when I was reflecting on this, I think that there's something around autonomy um, of a network to choose to come together kind of voluntarily um, and to feel like they are there because they believe that it is a, a beneficial thing for, for, for them and for their institutions kind of personally, but also professionally. And I think that kind of leads into then the mastery point because we, we, we want to get to a place where, and I think we're, we're, we're quite close to that. And certainly with the mental health group, um, we are at that point where people are actively wanting to be more and more involved because they see that they will be able to accomplish their professional objectives better in that group than not in that group. And so there's something about the autonomy of kind of the, the choice and the kind of the, 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 the ability to kind of opt in and, and choose to be part of it. Um, and then that leads in, I think, to, the, to a mastery conversation about how can we best do what we want to do. Uh, and I think the, 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 the overarching piece of that is the purpose. And I think we've spent a lot of time on that. And I think that's something you, you're continually narrating. You know, our shared objective is to improve the lives of children in Felton. Um, with a particular focus on, you know, the the, the, the most the, those who might might struggle the most. Um, I think that there is something powerful about looking at this through both a, an individual and an organisational lens, and where you can align these three at both the individual and the organisational level. That's really powerful because it, it creates more and more energy. Um, and I think one thing that's been really successful is involving the most senior people in the institutions in that steering group so that so that everyone else involved at the working group level has that kind of sponsorship from their organization to be continue to be continuing to participate. And it doesn't feel too much like there's a tension between participation in the network and kind of doing your day job. And I'm, and I'm interested. I'm, this may this may be. Uh... I may be completely wrong about this, but right at the beginning, when you were when you were saying to these very senior people, "Come and join me, Ed Vanka. I'm the head of this school, and I think I can make a difference to you know the mental health or whatever you know of of all the children in Feltham." Was was it difficult to win those people over? Uh, was the notion of collaborating in a, in a in what I perceived to be quite a different sort of network was that difficult, or did people buy into that vision quite easily? I didn't. I didn't go and have that conversation. Um, I think that's quite important because um, I'm very closely associated with the school. Right. Um, and the, the person who's leading this, May, in our team, um, joined us about three years ago to run the Children's Hub. She's never worked within the school and she has quite a kind of separate identity. And I think right. in, 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 in the schools work together locally, but there is always that kind of slight element of kind of, competition and creative tension and we have really good relationships but I think you know May went out to say we think you know this has come out of the work that we've done in the children's hub this has come out of these examples from other places in the world we would love you to be involved and I am a participant in the steering group like I sit on the steering group as a member 
representing the hub and representing the school and kind of bringing to bear that capacity into the partnership. But I don't have a privileged position um, in the in the in 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 the network in the partnership, um, and 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 May is then administering it. And we're transparent that you know the the the, the backbone team is sitting within our organisation, but they are as much as possible in service of of the whole partnership. And so I think it's quite important that you've got this this kind of independence kind of at the heart. And we've also made sure. Um, we've had independent facilitation from outside Feltham for all of the meetings. So uh, a woman called Marion Farouk, who has been involved with other collective impact partnerships, including Black Thrive in Lambeth, she kind of facilitates the meetings and um, provides that kind of independent sharing, which I think also really helps. So this doesn't feel, I hope, like a reach thing. You know, it's a collective thing where we've all come together to do this. But there's quite a lot of enabling others, therefore, because it has to stem from something. It has to stem from an idea, doesn't it, initially? So, you know, it, I understand that what you're saying is that May went out and she had those conversations, exact, et cetera. But, uh, you know, the, the, the motivation, I suppose, for this originally came from, uh, you know, reach as the, as the school because it could see the impact that it potentially could have. So I suppose uh, what I'm getting at here is your, is your role as an enabler of others. Yeah, I think that um, I think that there is um, I think that there is something there about this approach being good, being a good thing, kind of in its own right. Like it's, a, it, I think it's a, a sustainable, constructive approach. And then, kind of coming back to what I said, like it's also in our interests in order to achieve what we want to achieve. You know. It, it's going to help us to do that, and I think having those those two those two ideas being kind of consistent and 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 one of the things that pushed this conversation forward actually was COVID, and mm. one of the things that we did was um, we sent when it became clear that lock, there was going to be a lockdown, we kind of sent an email out and arranged a meeting on the Wednesday, and then schools were announced that schools were closed on the Thursday. Schools announced they were going to close. And we were actually called by um, the chief exec of the council and told not to have the meeting in person, which in hindsight was a very good idea because there was lots of COVID around. So we had it yeah. online. But there were 50, 52 organized, oh, 42 organizations, 52 people came onto that call. Oh, and you had everything there from schools, charities, sports clubs, faith groups, the local council. And we kind of talked about, you know, how can we work together to support our community? Depend, we don't know what's going to happen. And what came out of that was three kind of working groups that, that those 42 institutions kind of opted into, one around food, um, one around kind of isolation, yeah. and one around um, financial hardship. And, and, in, and the food group was pro, was, is the one that's still active now. And we start, you know, we were handing out food to our kind of, you know, families who had a free school meals and so on. And we started to have some donations of food and we started to kind of hand stuff up. But what, what we realized very quickly was that we had, we had organizations in the community that were much better equipped than us to do that work. And so there were actually three very small food banks that had a combined capacity of about 50, 50 families a week across those. And they weren't working that closely together before that group. But the group, they had, through the group, and we met weekly all, for, all the way through, and they now still meet monthly, we ended up with a single referral form for all three. We ended up with Applica uh, them putting in a funding application collectively 
um, we ended up with pooling pooling resources. And they, in about six weeks, they went from 50 capacity to 600 capacity, and that's developed further. And then the rugby club were also involved in distributing the food and doing home deliveries. And I think what we what we realised was that there were other people in the community better positioned to support in some of those areas than we were. And so again, the 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 the, the appetite um, for this kind of work comes not just from it being a good thing in its own right, but also from our desire to support our community and our beneficiaries being helped by taking this approach, if that makes sense. You know, it does. And it's interesting, I think, just to reflect on, you know, I mean, COVID has been so incredibly challenging for all of us, but there have been benefits in that ability to meet online as a group of organisations, hasn't there? Because you've been able to get more people around the table than you otherwise might have done. We're going to end, run out of time. I can't believe how quickly this conversation has gone. So I'm going to ask you um, uh, for your piece, of, for one piece of advice, I think, um, that you would give to other school leaders who would be interested in starting a similar journey um, to you. I think I think I've heard something about you know the, the the backbone team that makes things happen between meetings, etc. But you know, if somebody was thinking, watching this, and thinking, "Gosh, I'd really like to establish something like that." What advice would you give to them? I, I think beyond what I've already said, and I kind of alluded to this, but I think the discipline and the kind of pedagogy of community organizing has been very, very powerful for us. And in particular, this idea of having kind of relational meetings and building relational kind of power and in before and independent of kind of working together so that we you know, we, we want to work with people when we frankly like those people and we have a relationship with those people. Oh. And having, investing in those conversations and investing in getting to know the people around you in those institutions, I think is incredibly powerful. And that discipline around kind of community organizing, around listening, around building, building relationships has, I think, been kind of foundational to the journey that we're on. Great. Ed, thanks ever so much for your time this morning. Um, and if people want to find out more about your organisation, I presume they can take a look at the website, which we'll, we'll make sure that uh, we put into the information when we send out this podcast. Uh, but thanks very much for your time this morning. It's been fascinating to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All the very best.